0: give theory a chance. In this episode, we are joined by Richard Pringle, professor of sport, health, and physical education at Monash University. Richard reflects on the challenge of transitioning from reading kinesiology to reading Michel Foucault, discusses how Foucault provided him with a lens to understand pain and gender on the rugby pitch, and offers advice on the importance of engaging with the original text when employing the ideas of a social theorist. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks.
1: Uh, Thanks, Carl. Thanks for the invitation. I appreciate it. I think you're doing some good things here with bringing these podcasts up.
0: So I appreciate hearing that. So we're here today to talk about Michel Foucault. And a lot of people in sociology and the surrounding disciplines have heard of Foucault. But I'm wondering if you could give us a one paragraph summary of who he is or or what he was known for. Okay. One, One paragraph summary. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, just to, just to make it a little bit of a challenge.
1: Uh, well, I think it's interesting to reflect. I mean, he's sort of a historian. So to reflect on the idea in the early 1980s, he was really vilified and critiqued. So he wanted to try and turn our ways of thinking upside down. So he was interested in humans, but he was an anti-humanist. Uh, he was interested in human nature, but he was an anti-essentialist. Uh, he turned the ideas of power upside down. Historians thought he was anti-historian. So, uh, and uh, the structuralist thought he was a, a counter-structuralist. So in the early 1980s, he, he, was, he was strongly sort of critiqued and thought of as a problem. But uh, since then, I guess he's become known as a post-structuralist and as a post-modernist. And these are both probably terms that he wouldn't buy into and he wouldn't like to be pigeonholed. But given the strength of his influence in social theory, he's he's become known as uh, sort of Foucauldian in his approach. And I think it's reflected He's one of the most influential uh, social theorists of contemporary times.
0: So based off your answer, it would be safe to say that you have a sense that he's pretty widely read in the larger discipline?
1: Oh, for sure. So the wider discipline, we're talking sociology of sport?
0: Yeah, sociology, sociology of sport.
1: I, th- I think he's I think he's widely known in a whole range of fields, which attest to the usefulness of his theoretical tools. So whether it's uh, education, geography, history, even marketing management, a whole range of those fields, he's well known, and his ideas have proven useful. Somewhat sort of ironically, within our own field, the sociology of sport and has become so popular even though his ideas are meant to challenge our thinking there's a certain irony with that and toby miller back in 2010 at the nas conference as a keynote rhetorically asked is anyone here who is not a paid up member of the Foucault fan club so i think his his ideas are, are well known and there's a tinge of irony about about that, about how they've been used and some of the issues with how they've been used, which maybe we can talk about later.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'd love to get into that more, especially when we think about how we read theory and how how deep we need to go into it to act before we actually employ it with our own work. Right. So I'm curious, when did you first hear about or become aware of Foucault's ideas? So. Not even getting to the point of actually engaging in the text, but just this was a person that that mattered to some degree.
1: I started writing my PhD in 1999, and Perko Makula and Jim Dennison were our supervisors. And uh, initially, I was interested in this high-speed collision sport, rugby and masculinities. And I was reading a lot of stuff around hegemonic masculinity and Connell's work. And it didn't really work particularly well for me. It got to a point that I started to problematize it, and that's when I discovered the post-structural feminist work, including uh, some of
0: Perico's writings. And it was through that that I, I got to read Foucault. Would you mind elaborating a little bit on what Foucault provided you that you were not finding when you were reading Connell, in particular Connell's formulation of hegemonic masculinity?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was attempting to work with Connell's lens and it it just didn't work for me. So there were problems with, I mean, who were the the so-called leaders or the power elite? And within my context, within New Zealand, uh, the rugby players themselves, many of them went on into leadership positions, the business world. They seemed uh, dominant. Some became politicians, uh, race relations conciliators. So this idea that the rugby players themselves were somehow exemplars of hegemonic masculinity or that, that they were a reflection of that dominant masculinity. But under Connell's lens, and Mesner talked about actually these these players who engage in high-speed collision and risk their body and get injured are actually dupes of the system of power. And Connell would talk about the real sort of power elite with the transnational businessman. Yet I, I sort of had issues with with thinking about where was power stemming from, and I guess Connell was trying to locate power in a particular position in the transnational businessman, and it seemed to me that uh, power was more diffuse, it operated in different ways, so I had some, some issues around that. I also had issues around how people were using the lens, and this wasn't a critique necessarily of Connell's own work. But Mike Donaldson was asking, you know, is, is a gay rugby league player? Are they a marginalised person, or are they reflective of uh, hegemonic masculinity? It seemed to be a lens that the hegemonic masculine lens didn't seem to accommodate some of that fluidity, that and contradictions with people and how they live, and it also didn't seem to offer tools with understanding how particular masculinities were actually constructed. So Connell's original work linked back to psychoanalysis and uh, whereas I thought and tools and the workings of discourse and the workings of power offered a lens that could help me understand uh, some of the complexities and nuances of how gender gets constructed and performed. And I had sort of issues as well. I guess uh, Connell's original work stemmed right back to the early 1980s, and there was this sort of idea that there was a gender order. Uh, So in some ways, it was a sort of a tentative, structuralist lens saying, this is how the social world is. This is how relations of power exist between men and women, and hegemonic masculinity is really the answer to keep men in their position of dominance. And I can certainly understand why that lens was really useful uh, from the from the 70s and the early 80s. And I can still understand the dominance of, of men in the social world. But I think uh, times change and that almost structuralist way of thinking about the gender order, about um, groups of multiple masculinities and uh, their connection to women, I think things are more complex and times have changed and that lens is perhaps more reflective of second wave uh, feminist theorizing rather than new ways of thinking about gender and gender relations and at the same time i don't think that lens gave enough consideration to females and the role that they play in understanding and constructing and performing gender so there was there, there was a whole range of issues that i just got to a point where i found I couldn't work with it, and then found the brilliance of Foucault. And I I guess one of those key ideas was he wasn't saying, this is the structure, and I guess this is why he gets pigeonholed as a a post-structuralist. He he wasn't saying, this is how I see gender, and this is how it works. He was saying, here's a set of tools that you can use to help make sense of genders and uh, sexualities, and uh, if they're useful, go for it. And I found them useful.
0: Do you remember that first experience when you started to read his work? So I'm not a philosopher. And if you're not a
1: philosopher, Foucault draws a a lot on uh, talking through philosophers of the age. And there was a sense of being quite daunted by some of his original work. But also there was a strange sense of uh, coming home. So some of his key ideas I resonated with. And that made it more uh, exciting to read. But yeah, uh, like most people, if you've if you've come from a kinesiology background where you've been trained often in the physical sciences, uh, to try and read some of his dense uh, writing, it was uh, certainly daunting, and it took time and effort, and it got to a stage where I really appreciated, I guess you'd say, the beauty of his writing, his ability to allow you to see things differently, uh, but that that didn't certainly didn't happen overnight.
0: This might be difficult to articulate, but what do you think about it? Made it feel like it was coming home. Were there particular uh, types of ideas, or was it more his perspective, just his way, his, his general understanding of the world and power? What What was it that really clicked with you?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's. I've talked about this with other people, and I think often everyone sort of develops their own way of thinking about the world, thinking about people, and they have certain ways of doing it, and. And it's obviously not everyone writes about it, but there's that sort of resonance with thinking that uh, that subjectivities or identities were constructed through the workings of discourse, that that allows a critique of sort of a, a understanding that there's that real self inside you, that it allows for fluidities and contradictions, and for an understanding of how power operates, about, you know, why is the my dean or head of department why can he or she uh, exercise more power and uh, how can we challenge some of these ideas so i guess a lot of us have been thinking through a lot of those things and then when you start to read someone who's who's really thought about them and researched them and drawn them out there's that sense of resonance so that sense of resonance was attractive it drew me into wanting to read more and understand more about that thinking.
0: Was there a particular idea or concept that you really grasped onto or that has uh, significantly influenced your work?
1: His prime sort of ideas around discourse and power, and power and working not in a top-down manner although he had many understandings of, of power. But more broadly, I think it was his way to try and turn things upside down. So uh, it was more in a, in a way, he sort of resonates with a queer theorist approach that he liked to make the familiar strange and the strange familiar. So he wanted to challenge how we see the world and challenge the things that we take for granted. So it was more that sort of broad approach to challenge us that I I found particularly attractive. And I guess that's often how I try and make uh, sense of various things. You know, why do why do we accept these things as fact these ideas that we take for granted are the other ways of doing and thinking, and so it wasn't a specific theoretical idea, it was more that broad challenge to thinking which uh, I thought was attractive.
0: Let's let's turn to your work for a little bit just to get a sense of how you've put these ideas into motion or how they've influenced research that you've conducted. So. Reflecting back on your engagement with Foucault, how how did he influence your work? And I know you already mentioned that you had been reading a lot of Connell and you'd been dealing with these questions of rugby and masculinity, but what was it about Foucault and how did that influence where you went with that project?
1: I think at the outset with that question, I think Foucault has become the lens that I think with more broadly. So it's not just a lens that I have written with, but it's a lens uh, through how I see my engagement with the world. It's been useful at times with thinking about power structures within the university, within the neoliberal university and why things happen, but also about thinking about my own subjectivity and the relationships that I'm. So on a personal level, that sort of codian take has been useful for me in terms of influencing my own work. I've sort of engaged with that idea of trying to make the familiar strange and the strange familiar so i grew up in aotearoa new zealand sport of dominance that's had a huge influence is this high-speed collision sport rugby and many people in my country just thought that it's a good sport that boys should play it and uh, i found it a sport of violence i've played it for many years i still carry injuries from that and i really wanted to try and problematize that so In terms of trying to make the familiar strange, uh, one of the papers I've written about is comparing rugby to uh, sadomasochism. And most people, I guess, problematise the idea of sadomasochism, but then thinking about the pleasures in rugby, if you remove the risk of pain and injury, a lot of the players say that the the game loses its intensity and it seems to revolve, some of the pleasures in playing the game, revolve around uh, the fear of being hurt, and avoid, uh, the, the pleasures in avoiding being hurt, but also the pleasures in knocking people down. So as a strategy of trying to make that strange, it was a Foucauldian way that I thought was, was useful. But I guess more broadly in terms of thinking about uh, masculinities, uh, I ended up not being able to work with the hegemonic masculinity lens. Uh, so thinking through a Foucauldian lens about what didn't work, I've written a little bit about um, comparing Foucault with uh, hegemonic masculinity. I've found his lens useful thinking about gender and sexuality. And and more recently, uh, thinking about uh, the place of pleasure in social life. And I guess Foucault wrote about sexualities. He wrote about pleasure. But also he wrote about um, power as being productive, as, as producing things, and sort of underpinning our desire to... You know, we can all critically reflect on discourse, but the reason why we might adhere to certain discourse seems to be related to desire or pleasure. So trying to bring through more of a pleasure lens has been a, a task of late. But, um, and I guess one other direction that I've been influenced is to problematise what we take for granted. So within our own field, the sociology of sport, it's become really dominated by critical qualitative research methods And my sort of thinking is, if we are critical researchers and we really want to make a difference and change the world, then the way that our own field has developed into the dominance of uh, critical qualitative research, is this actually the most effective way for trying to enact change and get our voices and messages heard? And I guess, although I am a critical qualitative researcher, I've become critical of the dominance of that lens within our field and have made some calls for crossing boundaries and working in different paradigms, although it's very difficult to do, and I'm not going to start writing in a positivist way. Um, I think it can be useful if we've got a variety of approaches and attempts to um, share our messages, our critical messages.
0: And would you say that critique comes from your Foucaultian understanding of how different discourses come to be dominant and, in a sense, powerful? I think so. I, I think i tried to trace how...
1: Uh, critical qualitative research has become dominant in the field. So sort of an abridged genealogical or historical lens and thinking about the workings of power and discourse and who's gained sort of authority or voice or subject positions within the field and how it's developed uh, through the workings of power and it hasn't been, it hasn't developed because there's been a a clear sort of rational plan that this is the best way to achieve our critical goals. So almost by default, it's shifted into that. And I can certainly understand the attack on positivism within our field in the early 1990s, late 1980s, and the importance of promoting qualitative research. But I always think it's interesting how things develop and have a life of their own, and then reflecting on the consequences of that.
0: Following up to the way you've made use of Foucault in your own work, I'm just, I'm just curious if you could reflect a little bit about what the role of theory is. In, in a sense, what I'm wondering is, do you see yourself taking Foucault and applying his perspective to these topics, these interests of yours, and then demonstrating the power of his ideas, Were you also going back and even calling into question the validity of some of Foucault's ideas? So is it at the level of critiquing Foucault, or is it more saying, this is a tool that we can make use of as we try to understand sport, physical culture, or whatever other interests you might have? Uh,
1: I think very much that it's a tool. I don't think the idea of um, theory is to try and prove that a particular theorist is uh that their ideas are correct. And Foucault himself talked about, you know, um, use my tools if they don't work, challenge them, uh, adapt, adopt. Uh, so he wasn't uh, precious about his ideas. and But there was a little bit of both. So initially in writing about uh, Foucault, particularly with Pierre and our book Foucault Sport and Exercise, it was really an attempt to promote initially Foucaultian ideas. So some of the thinking with the production of that book was although thought sociologists had been writing about Foucault since the late 1980s, particularly the francophone scholars, uh, many of us who were publishing in certain uh, journals who were drawing on Foucault in the 1990s, in our view, hadn't necessarily read the original Foucault. And in fact, some of the early 1990s publications that drew on Foucault, they still seem to be influenced by a neo-Marxist lens and a top-down version of power, yet they might be talking about panopticism or disciplinary society. Uh, So there seemed to be this sort of strange adoption of Foucault. And I I guess what we attempted to do was uh, go back and read Foucault in the original and promote some of his ideas as we thought that there were issues with how they were being used. Of course, there were other scholars that were were doing that as well earlier than us, and that was good. But then from there, I think it's it's almost become problematic to a certain extent with how Foucault has been used. So when I was associate editor of SSJ, when Perico was the editor, but would, would read many papers drawing on some Foucaultian ideas, but often the papers were sort of mainstream qualitative research where it was more thematic analysis and exploration of ideas rather than dealing with the ideas of, uh, of discourse and identifying discourse and connecting it to the workings of power. Uh, so there was, I had some issue with how, The popularity of Foucault and then how Foucault's been adopted and presented and my understanding of that 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 has led in part to the the growth of what many people are calling neo-materialism with that sort of concern that and I think it's linked back to Foucault that Foucault was promoting the world of discourse as if discourse somehow stood apart from the material world and that this was wrong and hence we need to reinvigorate a materialist perspective so I can understand where that critiques developed but I also think that that's problematic as well because I think uh, Foucault was a materialist and he was well aware of the body and physiology and sexual functioning and he promoted the term biopolitics trying to link the two and he did it without a hyphen so I think some of that neoman the materialist critique, and I don't like the word neo in there either, has been falsely directed to Foucault, and I think there's more of a link between, say, Foucault and Deleuze, who I would suggest is sort of the, the godfather of, or the recent, well, I guess Spinoza's the godfather of materialism. But I think there's more of a link between Foucault's ideas and Deleuze and materialist ideas of late than many who have been adopting Foucault uh, and how they've been used. So there's there's some issues there. Carl, I hope you can understand and read and hear what I've been trying
0: to say. No, 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 that makes perfect sense. And it's one of the questions that I've been thinking through and also talking to a lot of people on the podcast about is, in a sense, when do you, how much do you need to read of a theorist before you actually start to employ their ideas? Because as, as a sociologist, as sociologists of sport, We're trying to engage with something empirical. We're trying to go out and research the world. So our job is not the same as a philosopher or even someone in cultural studies where they can become an expert on simply Foucault or become an expert on simply whatever theorist excites them at that moment. A a lot of the people I talk to talk about the value of theory as a tool to help us understand something. But then when do you, I mean, you could think about in the classroom or when you're mentoring someone who's starting on a research project. What would you tell them for how deep do you need to get with a theorist before you can really start to employ their ideas and and not have that shallow engagement?
1: Right. Yeah. Well, that's that's a good question. And often I think a starting point for someone with a PhD is not necessarily go and read the original uh, theorist, but to engage within their own field to see how those tools are being used and to see how those tools uh, help create different ways of seeing and thinking. And then once there's that sort of understanding, hey, I can see how these tools are useful, then I think it can be helpful to go go back and, and read the original. And I do think there's mistakes with people who don't read the originals, as often the interpretations morph and are, are slightly different. And I agree, Kyle, our job isn't to promote particular theorists, but to to work out whether those tools are useful. And critical tools are useful if they allow you to problematize existing ways and open up new avenues of thought, new ways of thinking, doing, and being. Yeah, so that, yeah, it's always a tricky one. Where do you start and what do you suggest people go and read? But, uh, I mean, if you're into Deleuze, don't go and read A Thousand Plateaus straight off. That's going to put somebody off.
0: So, are there are there other theorists that, in your own experience, that you've you've seen work particularly well alongside or, or with Foucault? Are there uh, that have interesting relationships? I know you've you've said that you use Foucault in a sense as an alternative to Connell, um, but there are there people that, that work well in the type of research that you're doing. Yeah,
1: well, I think I think there's a lot of links between a lot of different uh, social theorists, and often it's there's uh, some subtle differences in theoretical lenses. That become very very important and in some sense they become exaggerated so that people think okay well I'm a Foucauldian or I, I'm a Deleuzean but there tends to be more similarity than difference as they're dealing often with the same sort of issues so there's certainly overlap between uh, Bourdieu and Foucault and Deleuze yet there's very very clear distinctions and I think that's where it becomes a problem to be quite a sort of a promiscuous Social theorist, and be writing in one paragraph with a lens from neo Marxism, and then in the next one, you've jumped to a sort of post structuralist lens. So, I do think it's important to understand where they've come from and how they're used and where they might be useful for particular problems and excavating. But, uh, yeah, of late, uh, I've become interested in reading Deleuze and Guattari, and I've found their ideas. Again, really useful. I think they, Foucault certainly had links with Deleuze and co-wrote together. And I like how Perico's um, been linking Foucault and Deleuze together. I'm looking forward to reading her new book. But again, I think Deleuze was one of those authors that was ahead of his time. And many of us are now only just discovering uh, the importance of his work. So I know he sort of took some of Foucault's ideas around the disciplinary society, talked about control society, linked it through to the advent of the computer and the internet and the, the power of, of the internet. And he was doing this back in 1992 before many of us were even using the internet. So I think he had a particular foresight about the social world that's worth exploring and uh, taking your time to do it well.
0: As a final question, I like to ask every guest, To, in a sense sell the theorists that they're talking about so imagining that you're standing in front of a classroom and you're talking to undergraduates or maybe graduate students or even the larger discipline why would they undertake or why should people undertake the task of reading Foucault's original work Um, because as you admitted it's initially daunting it's filled with historical detail it's filled with conversations with other philosophers um, but you've you've found it worth your your time to continue to engage with these ideas. So what are what are those selling points, or what would you tell someone?
1: Well, I, I think, and particularly in our field, there was a Foucault-shaped uh, or reshaped the field in many respects from the dominance of what I'd call a sort of a neo-Marxist lens, a Gramscian lens, the thinking about hegemony, and and the early 2000s there was a broader sort of shift to post-structural thinking which in many respects was Foucault and if you want to understand how the fields developed and why that shift took place then I think you do need to read Foucault in the original. I don't know whether it's my role to sell Foucault (laughs) but uh, I think he sort of sells himself and the thing that surprises, I mean, there was a period of time when I'd go to NAS conferences and the term that, that was bandied around was neoliberalism. And I guess this was sort of five to eight years ago and a uh, great concern about neoliberalism. But if you go back and read some of Foucault's work from the, early, from the mid-1970s, he was talking about ortho liberalism and he was linking it back to the Frankfurt School and much of that concern that we were then talking about five to eight years ago, with neoliberalism, he had discussed in the 70s. So I I think he was gifted his his insight, his ability to critique and think uh, is just so important to examine that, yeah, you just need to do it for those reasons.
0: That's a a perfect place to end. So thank you again for joining us. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for the invitation. Good luck with the podcast series appreciation goes to Jeffrey Gilbert for providing our theme music, undergraduate sociologists Beth Heberger, Alicia Rios, and Simone Graham for their help with the project, and most importantly, on behalf of me, Kyle Green, thank you for giving theory a chance.